It will not last forever. It will not last forever. When you get them clean and ready for church and you walk back out into the room and find them either disassembling that outfit or toothpaste down the front or chocolate milk spilt, remember it will not last forever. When you're checking out and there is all kinds of gum and candy and everything they need and want and they're screaming for, remember it will not last forever. When it's hard to get up in the morning and get them out of the bed and get them fed and get them ready and get their homework and get their papers signed and remember something that you left or forgot and you're scrambling to get there on time and Miss Carla and others are looking at you in the line as it's very close to when they should be in the classroom, remember it will not what? Last forever. Remember when they obey the first time you ask, right away, all the way, with a happy heart. Remember also then, it will not last forever. When they share without asking, remember it will not last forever. When they sit and listen and actually engage in your family worship or devotion time, remember it will not last forever. Today we come to chapter 2 of the words of the prophet Isaiah and the reminder to us that this world and its kingdom and the empire and the current trajectory in which you see this world on, there is a big alarm and disclaimer from the prophet Isaiah from the word of the living God that it will not last forever. So let's get to it. Beginning in verse 2 of Isaiah chapter 2, the prophet writes, it shall come to pass in the latter days, depending upon your translation there, the King James NIV also translated in the last days. So the prophet Isaiah is saying there's something coming that is not here yet. There is something that is on the horizon and which the people of God ought to be looking for. He's saying be careful if you get caught up in the mundane or the current way in which your life is living or going about. He says, I want you to get a big picture. I want today, hopefully, as we look at Mother's Day and think from that perspective some, let's imagine and maybe give our families, give your lives a trajectory or a perspective that is not just here and now. Let's look big picture. And the prophet Isaiah says, listen, guys, it's something coming to pass in the last days, in the latter days. I want you to know what is coming. He's saying, listen, Luke says here, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. He says, listen, guys, I want you to know that the way things are now will not last forever. In that current day and time, what we're going to see is is kind of a really crazy mashup of what things ought to be that are not. He's saying, listen, there's going to come a day when the Gentiles, those that are not the Jewish people, those that don't have the word of Moses, those who have not had the prophets, those who have not been given all the miracles and the signs and the great things that we saw that brought our forefathers out of Egypt, they didn't have the promise made unto Abraham. He says, listen, I want you to know this promise is going to be extended unto them that all nations may come and know our God. And he says, listen, this is good news for those of us who have come under the blood of Jesus Christ. These are words of comfort and peace. But for those here that are in rebellion against the one true God, these are words that should cause you to shudder. For the prophet Isaiah is going to lay out for us 
the reality is, is that many who thought they were the people of God actually are living as though they are not and will be rejected. While those on the outside are hearing the gospel call, they are repenting and believing and actually coming and will be welcome for all eternity. See, the people felt like they were in good shape because they were, let's say, in church, so to speak. Yet all the while, they're missing it. This is Isaiah's word from the living God to those people. And the reminder is this, that it won't last forever, guys. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. So I want to draw your attention to several things here about what's going to happen in these latter days or last days. Look what he says. I already read some of it there from verse 2. But he says, I want you to know that it will come to pass in the latter days, in the last days, that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established. And notice he calls it the highest of the mountains. All right. It was often thought in that day and time that the gods lived on the mountains. Right. Even the Greeks have right there on Mount Olympus. Right. They Olympus, their God, these on the highest of mountains. So it was often thought that the highest mountain was reserved for the greatest God. And he says, listen, I want you to know that there's going to come a day when actually it will be revealed that God is the greatest of all gods, that he's the king of kings, that he's actually Lord of lords, that he rules and reigns. He says, I I want you to know, guys, you you may not see it in your day and time. It doesn't reflect in what you see in headlines on TV or you read on the Internet or what your Facebook feed looks like. But he says, I want you to know there's going to come a day when all people will recognize that the one true living God is none other than the God of Israel, the God of Jacob, the God of Abraham. And I hope and pray your God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what he tells them. He says that it will be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. There's an invitation to the nations to come. There's an invitation to all people, right? And we see this ultimately coming as Christ comes. He's welcoming people. He's, he's calling people that, that the disciples can't figure it out, right? That they don't understand why is Jesus talking to this woman at the well, this outcast from Samaria, right? Why is he doing that? Why is he there with that Syrophoenician woman there at the table? And she even calls herself a dead dog. Why is this happening? The gospel going to Gentiles, the church in Acts chapter 15, the church was still upset that the Gentiles were being welcomed in and not having to become Jews like they were. There was great confusion about the great grace and love and mercy of God that would welcome whosoever will may come. It's an invitation of God. And here it is, some 700 B.C. We now stand, what, 2,700 years removed. And this invitation that all the nations shall flow to it, to the presence of God. Listen to what he says here. And the many people shall come and say, listen to this, this is, this is beautiful, right? I, I want to hopefully make some practical application on this for all of us, but specifically as we deal with mothers and godly women who desire to disciple and make disciples. I hope and pray this, is, this brings clarity to this. Beginning in verse 3 of Isaiah 2. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go, look what they said there, go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. So the first thing they say is, listen, we need to go and be where God is. We need to go and desire his presence. We need to seek after this God. You say, why are they going there? Look what he says, to the house of the God of Jacob. Look what he says, a couple key things right here, that, right? So he's going to tell you, so we're going, that, look what it says, he may teach us what? His ways. 
right? So we're not just simply going to church, right? So let's, let's make some of this practical. Let's, let's kind of make it in, in our, our verbiage. We're not just going to church. We're coming here that we may be taught the Lord's ways. We desire to hear about the ways of God. Listen, but we, we realize that it's not simply just knowing about God, right? I, Paul writes to Timothy, he says in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 7, they're always learning yet never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. He says they know all about God. They've heard about God. They can tell you the stories, but they know not God. How do we know when someone begins to reveal the fact they truly know the living God? Look what it says here. That he may teach us his ways. And look what he says here. And that we may walk in what? His past. See, there's a walking in. So look at the progression there. First they go, then they are taught, then they come where the fact they begin to live. Right? So I I would maybe just pose this to to mothers, grandmothers, aunts, to, um, to, to just ladies in general. As you disciple, as you teach others in the church, as you disciple your family and others, as you pour in, I would ask maybe here's just some questions you might ask today on Mother's Day. Baby, come tell me. Tell me about, are you, are you going to church? Tell me about your Bible study time. And then ask them further. Look what he says. They're not only they to go, right? There's, a, there's an involvement, there's an engagement. But tell me, what is your church teaching you about Christ? What have you been learning about in Sunday school or that small group or that discipleship group that you're meeting with? So tell me, what are you learning about him? And then ultimately, right, it's not just enough that they might go to church, that they might be hearing some stuff, but you want to ask further, tell me, are you living that out? How does that look in your life practically, that Christ died for you? What difference does that make in your daily life that you are filled with the Holy Spirit? Right, we've got to begin to ask these questions. So I would encourage you, mothers, grandmothers, again, many of you have great, great influence in your families. Begin asking them. Tell me about where you're going. Tell me about what you're learning about. And three, tell me how you're living it out. Right? There's just some practicality right there of what's happening with the nations. And again, this is crazy. Why? Because this is not the people of God that are doing this. This is the nations coming to the one true living God. Look what he says here further in verse 3. Why, why are they doing this? Why are they coming to the one true living God? Why are they coming there? Look, he says four. Right? He's going to tell you. Four. Out of Zion. So from Zion, that speaks of Jerusalem, the heavenly city, but it embodies God's presence, right? For out of Zion shall go forth the law, shall go forth the word of God and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. This is why Zion is lifted up. This is why God's word and the presence and the power of God is lifted up. Why? Because there's no other way home. There's no other hope for your family. There's no other hope of salvation for your own soul. There is only Zion. And that's why it's being lifted up that all may come in, that all may experience God's grace, His mercy, the goodness of God. This is, guys, listen, that's the big deal about our children, friends, co-workers, others going to church, being engaged in Bible study, studying the Word of God in their homes. Why? Because only from God's Word do we hear the truth of the Gospel. We must Be continually in the presence of the one true living God, hearing the word of God. And then listen to what happens. Verse 4, it says, He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And look what happens here. It's an amazing statement. 
and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Why? Because nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Do you see it? What mankind is after this world peace will only be found in God. That's it. World peace will only be found through the living God. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. There shall not learn war anymore. He says, listen, I want you to know that we will never have peace without until we have peace with God within. The nations can never have peace without, no matter how many treaties we make, no matter how many agreements we have, no matter how many barters or tariffs or sanctions we try to put upon one another, that will never change the condition of a man or woman's heart. Listen, the same way with parenting. You can put as many sanctions as you want. You can put as many limits as you want. There's going to come a day when your children will no longer be under that restraint and they're going to break loose of that. Why? Listen, because the only thing that will change a child or a nation is the power of the living God through the Lord Jesus Christ indwelling them through His Holy Spirit. That's the only thing that will change. Everything else is just outward manifestations trying to look good or look right. That's why only God can bring peace to the nations. And so says the prophet Isaiah, He will in the last days. It's interesting that they no longer carry swords. They're no longer, their swords have become plowshares. The spears have become pruning hooks. They have also may begin to walk back to Genesis chapter 2 in the Garden of Eden. And here's the good news. That there's going to come a day when you walk into that garden and there will be no more snake. Hallelujah. There will be no more deceit, no more lies, no more deception, no more hiding from God in our shame. Jesus Christ will have overcome and those who have pleaded and, and, and cried out to God for His mercy and grace and come under the sacrifice of Christ will be able to enter into paradise with God forever and ever. And then this invitation comes as he looks back to the people of Israel. He's been talking, verse 2 through 4, about the nations. And then it's almost as if he's been talking here, here, here about all the nations. And then he turns and looks to the people of God and says, O house of Jacob, come, let us... Walk in the light of the Lord. God's call to His people is the same as the call of the nations. We are to come and walk in the light. Notice He says, we are walking in the light. Not simply trying to walk toward the light. We are walking in the light. Jesus speaks of that in John chapter 3 when He's talking to Nicodemus. And they're having all this discussion about everything about night and darkness and being born again and all this discussion is going on. And Jesus says, listen, you want to know the truth? He says, if anybody's going to follow me, he says, they've got to come out in the light. He said, but the truth is, men and women, boys and girls won't come into the light. Why? Because fear of their evil deeds being exposed. He says, listen, if you want to come and follow the Lord, you're going to have to own up and do some repenting and some confessing that your life's not right. That you don't have it all figured out. That you have some things in your life that do not honor the Lord. And he says, listen, if you want to come and walk in the light of the Lord, you need to own up. And Jesus says, most people won't do that. Why? Because they don't want their evil deeds being exposed. They don't want to give up the darkness. And so God is calling to his people. Come out, O Jacob. Come out, people of God. Walk in the light of the Lord. And then I think... Isaiah is now going to move, and he's going to answer two important questions for us in this. One is this. 
What happens when God's people don't walk in the light? So what happens when God's people don't walk in the light? And the second question is this, why don't we walk in the light? So two important questions I think Isaiah is going to answer right here for us. One is, what happens when we don't walk in the light? And secondly, why don't we walk in the light? Like, what's, what's going on internally, right? I mean, what's happening internally here of why I'm not walking in the light? So look at this. Let's just try to answer it. Beginning in verse 6. Listen to what God says. For you have rejected your people, the house of Jacob. There's rejection. Right, if you've ever wondered, what's the big deal about me living in my sin and doing whatever I want? And God says, I want you to know that that will cause and bring rejection. That is not the way for my people. Listen, again, they had all the sacrifices, guys. They had the temple worship. They had all the things figured out. And yet, they are not living for the Lord. He says, I want you to know, I have rejected my people. The house of Jacob. This is the warning. This is the alarm that should be sounded for us if we don't think it's a big deal that we don't walk in the light. There is, there is judgment coming even for the people of God. He says, listen, I want you to know you have been rejected by your God. You say, well, why would God do this? Alec Moitier, uh, Moitier uh, I think I mispronounced his name last week, even did it then. Um, he's the Irish biblical scholar, Alec Motier. Um, he provides a lens to look through, and I think it was very helpful for me, a uh, comparison of what the nations do as compared to what the people of God do. And I want to maybe just share like, that lens a little bit and kind of walk into that just for a moment this morning, kind of a little bit of compare and contrast of what's happening with the nations as compared to the people of God. So look what it says here. Back to verse 6. For you have rejected your people, the house of Jacob. Look what he says, because. Right? Like, hey, man, if God's going to reject somebody, I need to know why, right? Like, what's the big deal? Why would God be so upset? Look what he says. Because they are full of things. Here's what they're full of. They're full of things from the east. Fortune tellers like the Philistines. They strike hands with the children of foreigners. Says, listen, I want you to know why God's rejecting them. It's because they are living for the world. Now, what's interesting about that is what? Back in verse 2, look, it says, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall what? So the nations are coming to God, and the people of God are going to the nations. But not in the right way. You understand what I'm saying? They're going to, they want the way the nations have, the, the people that aren't of God, they want their lifestyle. While the nations want the God of Israel. It's a, it's a crazy moment. Like, what? What are they doing? Secondly, look at this. Verse 7. Why, why is God rejecting them? Why is there judgment here? Right? Again, you're asking, why is this happening? Well, I think what you're going to see is. The reason why God is bringing judgment on his people. What happens when we don't walk in the light? We've answered, we're answering that, right? There's going to be judgment. But the question is, why, why are we not walking in the light? It's because of self-pride. It's because we think we're good enough. We think we can do it our own way. We don't really need God. We don't really need his rules. His rules are too constrictive for my lifestyle. He says, listen, we want the things of the world. So watch what happens here, verse 7. Their land is filled with silver and gold. And there is no end to their treasures as compared to this. Listen to what it says here. And they say, come, let's go to the house of God, the house of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. Right? The people are seeking spiritual benefit 
while the people of God are piling up material wealth. Right? The, the people of God are after silver and gold and making their no end to their treasuries while the nations have begun to realize those things don't really profit. What we really need is spiritual benefit. We need spiritual wealth. We need to be transformed. And so the nations are coming to God while the people of God are departing. Thirdly, look what else it says here. He says, listen, nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. There in verse 4. So the nations desire peace that only comes through God. But look what the people of God are doing. Their land is filled with horses and there is no end to their chariots. So the horses and chariots mean that they are always preparing for war. So the nations, as they come to God, are experiencing God's peace all the while, the people of God who should be living in the peace of God are, de- are preparing themselves for constant conflict. Do you see the irony here? Like, people of God, open your eyes. Do you not realize you're living in contradiction to what you should be experiencing? You are the people of God. You should be, exper- you should be seeking the Lord. You should be walking in His ways. You should be experiencing God's peace. Yet, you're stockpiling treasures. Yet, you're always planning for war. You guys are missing the blessing of living under God's covenant and His goodness and His grace. And might we say, are we guilty of trampling the blood of Jesus Christ and scorning that sacrifice? Listen to what further happens here to the people of God. Again, this contrast to them. Verse 8 says, Their land is filled with idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their own fingers have made. And yet, look what the people of the nations are doing here. Look what they're doing. It says that they, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways. The people desire to learn the ways of God, and yet the people of God are desiring to learn the ways of the world. They want the idols and the things of this world. They're after the things that they can bow down. Look, they're bowing down to the work of their hands. When they have the one who made everything. Don't, don't despise the living God. Listen, we, we would come back and say to, to the people of Israel here in this day, the people of Judah, that southern kingdom, we'd say, listen guys, open your eyes and look. Do you not see who your God is? Why are you despising Him? And might they turn and look at us and say the very same thing? And you wonder, like, well, what's going to happen with all of this? So look what he says here. He says, I want you to know that the world, right, ultimately will be received by God. They're going to walk in his paths right here in verse 3. The nations are going to walk in his path. They're going to be received by him. But yet the people of God, look what it says they're going to experience. Rejecting your people and not being forgiven. Why? Because he says that you're full of the ways of the world. You're after the riches of the world. You are relying upon your own strength. You have gone after worshiping other gods. And so God says, look what he says here. So, look what he says there. So, verse 9. So, here's God's response. Man will be humbled. God will humble them. God is going to bring judgment. Ultimately, they're going to go into captivity. And some of you, listen, you're wondering why you're in captivity. Why? Because you're enjoying the things of the world and not the things of God. I compel you today, in light of God's Word, to repent and return to Christ. 
Turn from those evil things. Look upon Jesus Christ and His blessed sacrifice. Salvation. So why will man be humbled? Well, because God will be exalted over all. Look what the prophet Isaiah is going to go to next. Verse 10, he says, Look, enter into the rock and hide in the dust from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of His majesty. Notice that God gives no great display of power. Simply, God does one thing and it terrifies them. He shows them His glory. Some translations may render that word doxa there, glory. God shows His glory as He's going to the prophet Isaiah. And we come to chapter 6. Remember that Isaiah has this vision of God seated on His throne and the robe of His temple. A robe of His train fills the temple and the threshold shook and these great creatures are crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And Isaiah cries out, I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. One glimpse of the glory of God and man sees his sinfulness when he realizes how perfect and holy God is and how unlike him we are. And the good news is, beloved, hearing this today, you don't have to approach God at death in that condition. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. There is the sacrifice of Christ that you would come under this and be clean and holy as he is holy. Hallelujah to his name. That is a good God. That is a God who would receive you if you will repent and believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. But notice what they do here. Look back with me, verse 10. This is interesting, man. This really struck me this week. Enter into the rock and hide in the dust from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of His majesty. So what does humanity run to when they come to God at this point? The same earthly resources they had been dependent upon earlier. Some of you think that when you get to the end of your life or get to some point that you're going to stop doing what you've always been doing. You're going to look to something else. And yet when the, the judgment comes here, guess what the people do? They don't run toward God. They still run away from Him. Stop thinking that you're going to somehow start something new when you get to that point in life or when you get to that age or when you finally retire or when you have children or when you get married or when you get to... Man, that's the devil's bread. The call is now, here and now, today. There is no promise of tomorrow. It is now. Would you seek refuge in Him? Seek refuge in Christ. Somebody says here, Verse 11, and the Lord alone will be exalted. Look at it. I want to highlight just a few things for you there. In that day, verse 12, for the Lord of hosts has a day. Verse 17, the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Verse 20, in that day mankind will cast away. Listen, we, we love to sing. We even sang earlier, right? There is coming a day when no heartache shall come. No more clouds in the sky. No more tears to dim the eye. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore what a day, glorious what? Day that will be. Do you realize that the vast majority of this planet will not know that day? Feel it for a moment. The vast majority of this planet, 
the seven plus billion people here will not know and experience that day. And many, many, many of them have never even heard that there is an offer of forgiveness. There is hope of salvation that they could be spared the judgment of God. They've not heard the name that you just sang, Jesus Messiah, Lord of all. They have no hope of that day. How does that sit with you, beloved? How does that affect us as a church when we think about this community here in Greensburg, KY? How does that, does that irritate you a little bit? Does that concern you a little bit that nations might not know? That people don't know this good news of the gospel? That we here are rejoicing and singing about a day that they've never even heard could be available unto them through the name of Jesus Christ. That in fact God has decreed that there will be a day when all nations will flow to Him. So we know that God desires to reach the nations. God loves all people. God desires that all would come and, and be experience His grace and His mercy Listen, guys, we are, we are rejoicing in the fact that day is coming, but many do not know that. And as the people of God, that must move us. As the people of God, that must unsettle us. That must create a spiritual discomfort of saying, I don't feel like I, I can just simply sing that and not go and tell someone. So this day is coming. I wonder if you may have sang it earlier, and yet you know not the truth of forgiveness in Christ. And so that day will never be yours either, unless you repent and believe. That's the truth, according to the prophet Isaiah. And now he wants to give us clarity on exactly how God will be exalted over all things. Listen to who your God is. This is the God that's worthy of your allegiance to go to the nations. Listen to who he is. Verse 13. Against all the cedars of Lebanon, against all the oaks of Bashan, against the lofty mountains, against all the uplifted hills. He says, listen, everything of nature, possibly here again, he's looking at the mountains and the hills against all of the gods. He says, I want you to know that God will be exalted over all. Further, look with me, verse 15, against every high tower, against every fortified wall. He says, listen, I want you to know that every bit of your self-security, everything that you think has made you so safe and so protected, it, God will be exalted over that. So what I would compel you and the prophet Isaiah is compelling us today to do is come and bow now. Like you can't protect yourself from this God. You can't hide and get away from him. He knows who you are deep down in. Riv and I were on a bike ride yesterday and we were just talking through some of the things. We were right now in the book of Corinthians and we were just discussing. We were uh, recently in chapter 4 and, and verse 5 there. He makes this statement, Paul does. He says, listen guys, judge nothing before the appointed time. But wait until the day the Lord comes when he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and expose the motives of men and women's what? Hearts. And I said, Riv, bro, you can hide all day long. But God knows your heart, man. These people have built high towers and fortified walls. And he says, I want you to know God's going to be exalted over all of that. Against all the ships of Tarshish and against all the beautiful craft. Listen, um, it, these are kind of some of the largest ships they had. The capable of the greatest voyages, right? These people in that day and time, the sea was the great enemy to them. And yet there they are trying to conquer over that great sea of chaos, so to speak. And the reminder is, listen, 
Mankind may have conquered and built great empires, but the record will show that God will be exalted over all the empires of man. That's who our God is. He says, listen, and the haughtiness of man shall be humbled and the lofty pride of men shall be brought low and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. He's compelling them to come to him. I know time's here, so I will move quickly. Look further with me, though. When the Lord, watch what happens when God acts and moves. Watch this, verse 18 um, through 21. And the idols shall utterly pass away. Watch a couple things that happen here. So idols are going to pass away. The gods that you worship now are going to pass away. Let the record show. The gods that you and I are so tempted to worship will pass away. Look further with me. And the people shall enter the caves, the rocks, and the holes of the ground from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of His majesty. We might ask, when's this going to happen, Isaiah? Well, guess what he answers it. When, what happens? He rises to terrify the earth. He says, when God rises from His throne, everyone else falls down. Right? I mean, you see that throughout the Scriptures. Right? Even when Christ is captured, the book of John says something amazing. When they ask, look, they're looking for Jesus. Who is He? And He said, I am He. And John records that when He speaks this on Thursday night, when He's captured in the garden, do you remember what happened to everyone that came to capture Him? What does the text record happens to them? It says they drew back and fell to the ground. There was a glimpse just in that moment. John reeled back the, the veil and said, listen, I want you to know who Christ is. In Revelation, when John encounters the resurrected Christ in all of his glory, do you remember what happened with John? He said he fell at his feet as though what? Dead. Here it is. When God rises to his throne, everything else is humbled. And here's the invitation I would give to you and to me. If we see that and recognize it, Why would we keep going on and experience judgment then rather than bowing now and worshiping now so that when he rises from his throne on that day, we are going to bow already as his children rather than as his enemies? Listen, guys. Man. Look, look, listen. Listen, man. As we think about Mother's Day, listen, moms, grandmothers, aunts, godly women, as you disciple others, listen, and you're pouring into them, you're trying to give them a trajectory for their life, listen, 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 show them with your life, tell them with your lips, impact them with your love, but look what happens in that day, mankind will, what are they going to do to their idols? They'll do what? They're going to cast away their idols of silver and their idols of gold, which they made for themselves to worship to the moles and the bats. Listen, we must show them that the things of this world are temporary. Godly women, lead your family, lead your friends, lead your co-workers to show them that the things that we most value now in that day will be thrown away. So might it give us some clarity, a lens in which to look through, that we might live through this lens, that we would judge everything by its worth at the judgment of God? What if we judged everything by its worth at the judgment of God? Now imagine if you did this, man, the Spirit just kind of, poop. So if we judge everything by the worth of the judgment of God, and God's judgment was satisfied in Christ, and we come under His sacrifice by repentance and faith, we've now judged ourselves unworthy, but yet made worthy in Him. And now I have identity 
of not being good in myself, but an identity that is rooted in the sacrifice of Christ that once and for all sacrificed God's judgment, that He loves the Son, and as He has loved the Son, so does He love us and love me. That now my identity is no longer in building my own kingdom or my own empire or sailing across the sea to do this or that, but instead my identity and self-worth is rooted in Christ. Let that be the lens in which we live for. I want to close um, with an invitation briefly of something we've been doing. If you're not aware, um, June 3rd, we're going to have worship at 9 a.m. No Sunday school that morning. We'll worship at 9 a.m. Encourage you to wear a church t-shirt if you don't have one. See Brother Todd or myself will get one. At 10 o'clock, we're going to hit the streets of Greensburg KY, inviting people to vacation Bible school. Um, we're going to be going all throughout the community. We want you to be involved in that, right? Whether you're a member here or not, you're here, you're a part. We want you to be involved, knocking on doors, inviting people, compelling you to share the gospel, to pray with them, but at least inviting them to vacation Bible school. We're going to return back here to church at 1130 on that June 3rd morning, and we're going to have uh, lunch here together as a, a church and just fellowshipping, preparing ourselves um, Next Sunday night, we'll be going door to door. Uh, it's something Brother Todd and I have been compelled about, of saying, man, we need to be more intentional as a church body of going out and sharing the gospel collectively. So next Sunday night will be one of those nights we're going out door to door, just knocking on doors here in Greensburg, sharing the gospel. And you say, Blake, I don't even know how to share the gospel. We'll work on that Wednesday night. I encourage you to come, be a part Wednesday night, but I'll give it to you really briefly and maybe a form of just an invitation to your own soul. Look what he says here. I don't know if you recognize it or not, but... Thinking about, there's three circles. First one is this, God's design. God's design. God created everything perfectly, and yet something came into the world, and that something is sin, and it distorted God's perfect design. Because of that, you and I have got into this flow of brokenness, and the reality is brokenness just leads to more brokenness. And I don't know if you know anybody that lives in brokenness, or you experience brokenness in relationships, or finances, or death, or sickness, or hardships. But the reality is when we experience brokenness because of sin, this isn't what God intended. But usually our brokenness just leads us to run further and further away from God. But the good news is that there's actually the third circle is the gospel. That God and His love did not intend things that way, right? This is not His design. Brokenness is not what He desired for us. And so therefore He sent His only begotten Son, the God who became flesh and became a man, lived a sinless life and died on the cross, dying not for His own sins, but for ours. For people just like the people of Israel that were going their own way. For the people just like you and me that were going our own way. And the gospel just ushers to us if we will simply repent. That means recognize that your way of life is wrong and God's way is right. And believe upon the Son that He satisfied the judgment of God for you. That He took away your sin, man. Do you believe that? That your sin is gone? He says, listen, if you repent and believe of that, then, listen, it restores you from that brokenness. The gospel brings restoration and then calls us just to simply recover and pursue God's design, that we would continue to live this out. And maybe you're interested. You say, Blake, I'd like to maybe know a little bit more about that. Come Wednesday night. It's one of the things we're studying right now. You can learn. But listen, here's the good news. As the people of God, we don't live perfectly as God's designed us to. We still, as the people of God, experience brokenness. Why? Because we still sin. So what do you do right here today? If you're, you say, Blake, I, I, listen, I, I'm in Christ. I've repented and believed. 
But man, there's some brokenness in my life. There's some areas of sin, even as a believer. Repent and believe. Just return back to the gospel. Guys, this is what we're called to do. Return back to his sacrifice. Return back and say, God, this is not what you've called me to do. And that, in the empowerment, not of yourself, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's all kinds of scripture I can share with you. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, we now can live what God has designed us to live. Briefly, the gospel, three circles. You can draw it on a napkin in a restaurant. There's an app if you like just to be able to swipe your finger and bring up some circles and arrows, wherever that may be. Remember what I told you about the prophet Isaiah? It starts out really bad. It starts out rough. It's a rough one. I acknowledge that. And it moves to getting better. So you've got to hang with him. But he's calling the people out. And here we are some 2,700 years later. I don't know about you, but man, some of these things still strike at me that my way of life does not reflect God's design. So as the people of God today, will we repent and believe and return to the gospel? I pray you will. Let's pray. Father, we pray today that you will draw people unto you by the power of the gospel. Father, let them realize that there is refuge for our sin. There is rescue for our rebellion. There is hope for our helplessness. There is a blessing despite our brokenness. And that hope is found only in one name, the name of Jesus Christ. Father, Let us not simply read these words and hear these words some 2,700 years prior and think, I wish those people would have recognized what kind of shape they were in and yet all the while not see our own need of you. Let us recognize that the only hope for the nations is in Christ and the only hope for us is in Christ. God, let us see how much we need Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen. Amen. Come